Imagine knowing exactly what your students are learning and exactly which steps you need to take next. Join us in Down With The Reading Quiz to craft meaningful and productive formative assessments that move away from gotcha moments of basic recall and toward assessing what your students actually can do. In this 30-minute free masterclass, we'll share three powerful assessment keys that work for any novel at any time of the year. Head to shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to sign up, and we'll also send you a free workbook to keep track of all your notes. Once again, that's shop.bravenewteaching.com slash masterclass to nail formative assessments forever. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Marie. What are you up to later? Want to join me for happy hour? I'm all in. And guess what's amazing? Our listeners and friends of the podcast can also join us because Brave New Teaching Happy Hour has officially launched. Cheers. Cheers, everyone. We are officially hanging out a little bit longer after school with an extended extra private podcast feed just for you. Yes. Members of Happy Hour get extra 15 minutes of the podcast, give or take, because you know us, we run a little bit long. It's just kind of how we are. But if you would like to get in on this Happy Hour action, please join us. It is only $5 a month. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash happy hour and get yourself signed up because when you're there, Amanda, tell our friends what we do every month for our Happy Hour members. I think my favorite part is coming up with a new free resource for our listeners every month. And then we pretty much break down that resource and how to use it. We also like to have guests on to do extended episodes and even Q&A that's just for you about that resource. It's really exclusive and super private just for you. So if you are like us and you like hanging out, you like chit-chatting about all things that are teaching, teacher life, and everything under that umbrella, join us for happy hour and we will see you there. Bye. Bye. Well, hello and welcome back to Brave New Teaching. We have for you today part two of our just quick two-part banned books series of episodes um, because, and the reason that we split these up last week, if you missed that episode, we were talking about the decisions we make as teachers and the text that we bring into our classrooms and everything that goes with it, the weight of that decision, really the depths of those decisions and things to consider when making the decisions of what to include in our classrooms even if that means just going with what is prescribed to you, right? That's still a decision. (laughs) Hi, Amanda. Hi, everyone. Happy to be here. Absolutely. So now that we've talked about at great length, and like I said, if you didn't hear last week's episode, hop over to that one and then come back here making decisions. You've got your list. You've got your curriculum. You got it all figured out. What do you do when those decisions are challenged? Like, what do you do? When the professional decision you have made, however thoroughly, is challenged and put into question. What do you do, Amanda? What do you do? Go. Elevator pitch. Not really. I want to read an example because I have been trolling some Facebook groups about this issue for a long time now, which was a big impetus in like creating this episode is I see this happening a lot. Marie and I have talked about this also just in terms of curriculum period, right? Outside of books is our communities are starting to feel like they deserve to have more input in what we do than really is appropriate. 
So this is something I saw on Facebook just a couple of weeks ago. And this person said, yesterday I received an email letting me know that every work in my ninth grade advanced class would need to be changed. Every work. Here are the criteria listed. No witchcraft, no divination, no sorcery, no magical realism, no romance at all, no fantasy at all, no video games, no anger, no violence, no sadness, and no depression. No anger or sadness. Yeah, none. No, no Steinbeck. (laughs) Like, I mean. (laughs) Oh, right. So every work on the list. I mean, I mean. Shakespeare? What what are you at? Gone. Shakespeare is definitely gone. Yeah. So I can't make this stuff up. I know Uh, it's true. It's true. Well, I mean, and I, of course I'm like focusing on the micro. They're like, what did that parent say was okay? Right. So that's what the episode's about, right? It's really getting to the bottom of that, right? (laughs) It's getting to the bottom of that. It's getting to the bottom of, it was unclear if that was a parent demand or a department, like the parent went to a department chair and then that was handed down. Honestly, if that was like, I would quit. Um, (laughs) I would look for somewhere else. Uh, I don't know how you teach conflict. I mean, right. Like that's, that's not real. I don't know. I don't know. But you know what I do know? I think it's time to cue the music. I think we should just get into it. Yeah. You're listening to Brave New Teaching, a podcast for educators challenging the status quo. I'm Amanda, and I'm a high school English teacher in Illinois. And I'm Marie, and I'm also a high school English teacher in Southern California. We're so glad you're here. Enjoy the show. Seriously, though, Amanda, how bad do you want to be a fly on the wall of that classroom slash department meeting? Oh, my God. Like, so bad. I, I, I just, this stuff makes me sick. Like, I, I, I perseverate in the anger because I don't, as much as we are on a podcast and we are articulating things all the time, I feel like in the heat of the moment, I never know how to really articulate myself. And I think what I want this episode to do for all of us is prepare you for these situations with options. And, and that's what I think I would appreciate, you know, when I go back into the classroom and I know that someday I will, and I know that this will happen, I want to be able to say, okay, let's look at these situations from a little bit, like, you know, zoomed out a little bit and like, what are my options? So let's start there, Marie. Let's kind of break down the different instances where this occurs and then kind of go from there. Well, and as we get into kind of like what, what we mean by a challenge, what that can look like, it's obviously not going to be like exhaustive of what all the challenges are and will be because you've spent any moment with students, you know, that like challenges are just, they're just, they find ways. But I will say this, Amanda and I are both seasoned teachers and we still have moments of like, I don't know what to say. Right. Yeah. So if you are brand new, if you are more veteran than we are and you have those moments of Ugh, that's okay. Let's let's have this, like she was saying, be a time where you can just think through, hmm, what would I say if hmm, when this happened, I said blah. What could I have said? Like, or what did I say that worked? Like, let this be a moment of reflection and even just introspection to play it out. Because like it or not, we are under fire 
our educators and especially classroom teachers, we are under fire. And we have an episode that we have in, in the works for you all um, specific to like what is happening right here and right now. The, a lot of, I'm going to say challenges, but really just, I don't know, what am I trying to say, Amanda? Like we're, we're being attacked. A lot of teachers being are being attacked. Yes. So those attacks, we have some responses. We have some ways to deal, some strategies for teachers that we are working on. And we want to be really mindful about that. So like that is to come. But let's just talk about specifically having to do with materials and texts and books in our classrooms. The different types of challenges, as we say, or like questioning that I have seen are parent challenges, colleagues challenging, so whether it's admin or a fellow teacher or whatever, and then students challenging a work that is being presented to them or will be potentially presented to them. I think the most common challenge or question that we get is going to be from a parent. That's why like when you were reading that Facebook post, I assumed it was a parent. I just assume because I've gotten, a, I've, I've had a similar uh, like a population of students. And I've had a few kids in the same family come through my classroom where the parent reminds me that witchcraft, magic, um, and those sorts of elements are not allowed. And their student must leave the room if we start talking about those sorts of things, which makes the crucible a very interesting place to be when you have an 11th grader and we're teaching the crucible because it's not really witchcraft but it's treated as such, right? It's a very weird, that's, that's my little bird walk for the moment. But yeah, those are the moments where you're kind of like, what do I do with this? Yes. Yes. And I think one thing that Marie and I talked about beforehand was understanding that the era we live in right now is calling for us to both listen carefully, right? To be good listeners of our population, right? Whoever is voicing these concerns. I really am trying myself to listen first. (laughs) I'm laughing because that's very hard for me, but also, (laughs) but also to stand firmly in our profession, in our education and in the unit of study, right? So a parent comes in, whatever. I really think that we need to be able to navigate this by some preventative measures first, right? So I really want us to think about what are ways that this can be something that when it comes about, you're already like, you've got a canned boxed something you can do with it, that you don't have to take that negative energy home with you. You can forward it to your, your admin. You can cite something that's already been written that a parent has consented to. Those are the kinds of things that I think are really important. Well, and it's, it's setting yourself up to not have to be on the defense because like the truth of the matter is this, we are educators and we became educators because we want to work with kids. Kids are the babies of other people though. Right. So like even though, yes, I firmly believe that I serve kids and only kids, their parents are very much still a part of the equation because they're kids. And that was something that like as a younger teacher, I, or as a newer teacher, I happened to also be younger when I was a newer teacher, I had to navigate and understand and deal with in myself that like, I can't resent parents for being parents. I want what's best for my own babies. And I'm, I'm going to ask some questions sometimes. 
being an educator, I'm going to ask them in different ways. And sometimes the questions are asked of me in more respectful tones, um, you know, with a little, just like, you know, tactfully putting things. And that's not always what we get. And also the lens through which we read things is straight up. They're criticizing me and they're criticizing everything. But that's also kind of their prerogative to a certain extent because the questions are okay. It's not bad to question. If we have, like you're saying, the preventive measures in place where those questions are answered before they're asked, that's a great place to be. It's a great place to be able to be like an educational team with parents and community members versus this is the first time hearing this. What are you talking about? How do Romeo and Julia die at the end? No, they don't. They get married and they live happily ever after. And you're like, actually, no. This episode is brought to you by Curriculum Rehab by us, the team here at Brave New Teaching. It is the first and only teacher PD of its kind, a course to help teachers like you by guiding you through creating your own personal framework for curriculum. You make it work for you, your students, and your unique situation because nobody else knows what the kiddos in your classroom need the way that you do. Curriculum Rehab takes all of the resources available to you, all of the lessons, the assessments, the activities, all of the texts, everything that could possibly be there for you, and it helps you organize what you actually need in order to attain your teaching objectives. These are the strategies that Amanda and myself have used in our own classrooms, have developed over very long years of teaching and figuring things out combined together to create this framework and these strategies that we can guide you through. This course will give you the tools you need for a complete curriculum overhaul or to start from scratch. Wherever you are on that continuum, it does it all for you and with you on your timeline. So start today, do a little bit more in a couple of months, and then pick it up next summer. It's Teacher PD the way it should be on your own time. Head to curriculumrehab.com slash course for more information, or just head to the show notes for this episode. We cannot wait to see you there. It's finally time to take control of what goes on in your own classroom and create the curriculum of your dreams. All right, let's get back into the show. So, okay. So I think if we're going to follow Marie's thread here, we're going to choose to respectfully engage with the challenge. Okay. Let's say it's a parent or a student in either situation. There are some questions that need to be part of the dialogue. And I think the first part of getting to the bottom of the challenge is trying to figure out where it comes from, the source, the context, and, and what exactly the problem with the text is. In my experience, a lot of the challenges that I have seen from both students and parents have come from the student or parent reading a summary mm-hmm. or someone else's something online about the book and not from actually reading the book themselves. And so to me, that is a huge red flag. If I'm going to engage in this conversation, I'm going to engage in this challenge. I want to make it clear that as a professional, I have not only read the novel, but I have crafted right the scaffolds, the the bumpers around the issues that you are describing, right? So if we were to take A Thousand Splendid Sons, right? I teach this novel in 11th grade. In a word, it's rough. There is rape incest, horrible war, like at the end of a end of a chapter, like there are body parts that have exploded. I mean, it is graphic and it is violent. It is all of these things. 
However, as a professional educator, I'm a little bit on my soapbox right now. The thread of this novel though, is on the love and friendship between, between two unlikely women to become friends and their friendship literally saves each other's lives in the end. And like the love and beauty of the story absolutely overshadows these things. So, so as a professional, you know, that every book could have a bullet list of offensive content examples, but only someone who's read it and experienced it with you as the guardian of that novel can help turn and and guide students through that story to see those other pieces. So I think that's really why it's important to have that conversation with students and parents and say, okay, you have a problem with X, Y, and Z that will appear in the novel. Yes, they will appear. But do you understand the context of how those appear, the result of those actions, the uh, the climax, the, the 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 end of the novel? Do you know how all of that changes the things that you're listing and separating out from the rest of the story? Yes, it helps our students and their parents and our administrators and whoever else we need to be on board with what we're going to be doing in our classrooms. It's really important for our like, you know, educational team, which is what I like to think of it as, right? I I used to be really afraid to talk to parents. And I know a lot of teachers are afraid to talk to parents because they feel challenged like you are. Yes, they feel challenged. They feel defensive. And a lot of that comes from being attacked as professionals as we are right now. But truly, we should be able to work as a team right? It's that whole, the community raising the child thing. Like that's why we send them to education outside of the home. <laughs> like That's yes. why we exist as a profession. Yes. It's because working as a team we know is just better and more effective uh, for 99.9% of our kids. Helping the rest of the team understand the context through which we will be approaching a work or a topic, the purpose for it, the essential question, right? Like, Like we're always talking about inquiry. If you missed that episode, it's a couple back about making the case for inquiry, helping our teammates in this educational team understand and see the purpose of allowing students to explore topics and the, like you're saying, the bumpers and the roadmap that we're going to guide them on to get them there. It alleviates a lot of anxiety. Like as a parent, I'm very anxious to send my children to school because we have a particular set of beliefs and morals within our own little family bubble. And it's hard the first time your kid goes to preschool or even really to kindergarten. And you know that they're going to get influences outside of what has been in your living room and your kitchen and your car. And right. Like when that little bubble has a little hole poked in it, it's hard and it's scary So I empathize with parents and with guardians and with those looking out for their babies, even if their babies are 18, like they're still your kid. So like, I get that and I see that. And I think that, and then the defensive part of me goes, but you know what? Bleepity bleep, swear word, swear word. I'm a professional. I have trained long and hard to be where I am right now. And I should be treated as such. The fact of the matter is we're working with other people's kids. And so we're going to have to provide our ethos by doing things like you're saying, by like bringing them in instead and and doing those preventive measures to say like, this is going to be challenging. This is why this can be problematic. Here's how, this is how we'll deal with it to alleviate a lot of that stress. 
And, and that just, I think if you have not listened to the episode prior to this, this is why the work of part one of this series is so important because if a parent does come to you and has these very legitimate concerns, sometimes the concerns are not really legitimate, but we're not talking about that right now. But when, when they are legitimate, you will benefit in that conversation with the parent because you've already done the work. You've already had the conversation with your colleagues. And this is not something that you're just going to have to go, oh, I better go research what, why I'm teaching this book. And, and I say that again with like gentleness and love, because some of us are thrown into a curriculum. Some of us are hired in October and have to just go start teaching. And it's not always that easy, but it's something that will help make this situation less stressful and it will help the result of it be in the best interest of the academic well-being of your child, as well as of, of the student, the parent's child, your student, as well as their emotional well-being uh, on top of that. Because the, the conversation might end up by, you know, you know what, I think that the events, even though that's how you're going to teach it, I still think that's going to be too triggering for my kid because yeah. of X, Y, and Z. Okay. So that, so, so that there we are, but we've had that mutual, like you said, our ethos has been respected. Our profession has been respected, but so has the concern of the parent. And then we're in a good place. Like I actually feel like that is something amazing and that's not always what happens, but doing the work ahead of time and being prepared for this situation in under, you know, having your curriculum map, map solidified and your own rationale solidified is a huge step in the right direction. So before Amanda has some options of just things that you could do, right? When the challenge is there and you know what, this is going to be too triggering, whatever it is for my child, for this student, for whatever, like, no, we need to do something else. Amanda's got a list of a, a couple ideas just to kind of kick around, but like when your decisions are questioned, here are some questions that you can go through to ask yourself, where does the challenge come from, right? We talked a lot about parent or guardian challenge, but like, is it from the students? What's the context surrounding the challenge at hand? What is a particular grievance being cited? Like, what is it about this text or this author maybe that is being questioned or challenged? And if a replacement is the next best option, who decides that? Those are some things to kind of process when figuring out what to do with a challenge when either the preventive measures have still gotten to you to that point, or it wasn't possible to make those preventive measures because you were hired in October, because it's brand new, because it's mandated, whatever it is. So what are some other options, Amanda, once you've gotten to that point of strategies? So we'll start at the beginning in terms of things to start at the beginning of the school year. So one thing I've seen that's been really nice is a department collectively writing a controversial text disclaimer that goes in everybody's syllabus. And so whatever that disclaimer is, whether it has to do with, we might put books off of our district list that are different on your choice reading list, or there might be whatever might be coming, putting that in a disclaimer that parents have to see and sign off of at the beginning of the year. It does the work of 
if there are issues, kind of catching them early and in a group. So like you kind of have all of the parents who have issues, you can kind of deal with them all at once or your department chair or your admin can deal with them all at once. Uh, It doesn't become your problem from an email later on down the road. Similar to that, you might just be really well off if you can solidify your book list at the start of the year. I know some teachers try to change things or add things as they go. Like if you are in a situation, like I know some independent schools can do that and It depends on where you are, but if you can give parents a list, this is what we're going to read at the beginning of the year right away, like handle that early rather than the day you're starting the book in question. Um, That's going to, again, take a little bit of that pressure off your shoulders. And then we've talked about it very briefly, but the, the next and most important thing is you have taken curriculum rehab and all of your units are based on essential questions. Uh, Duh. Well, yeah. Inquiry, my friends. Inquiry. If your units, if your units are truly structured through inquiry, the text shouldn't matter. Now I say that very lightly because texts do matter and, and what we're pulling. We've just spent two, we've just spent two podcast episodes about talking about the weight of text (laughs) and how much they matter. It matters very much, but if, if it's not worth the fight or it's not going to work out, if you are already set up with an, with a question, it shouldn't be too difficult to find another text that still answers that question. So the student can be present in your room or present in your class conversations. Anytime you're doing supplementary reading, you're doing podcast episodes, right? YouTube videos, Ted talks, poetry, like all of that will still apply. Even if the novel is different from what other students are reading. The next thing I've seen, I've never done, but I've seen around, I think it mostly Facebook. I've seen some schools put together an alternate novel, like form. So there's a formulaic way of handling this situation. So a parent has contested and we've decided we're going to let the student and the parent choose something else. I've seen schools put that back on the family and say, here are the criteria for the unit. Go find a replacement text and then we'll tell you whether or not it works for us. Um, You might hand them a pre-selected list of your own. Um, But I really think the most important thing at the end of all of those things is that you, the teacher, do as little, as little of the heavy lifting as possible because you've already done all of the work to make this unit happen the way that you planned it. And I know firsthand, and I know Marie knows too, how exhausting and derailing it can feel to have this situation happen. And then you're distracted and you're spending 90% of your energy on one student and accommodating that student. And then the rest of your kids, you're just like, I'll get back to you later. And it's really hard to do. So having people in your corner, having systems in your corner ready to go uh, will really be the best way to help you move forward. And, you know, list trying really hard to listen. It's hard. And then holding your ground on the things that are really important to you. We're all people. We're all people. And I, I mean, I think it's pretty safe to say that most, if not all educators go into education because they are passionate about it. Right. And so when you're passionate about it, then when things don't quite go your way or you're met with walls, it it makes it hard. And, and this is already a really difficult and draining job, even though rewarding, it's exhausting. And so then when things are further draining and further exhausting, you're just like, ah, why? (laughs) Yes. We want you to protect your own energy because it's not (laughs) endless. (laughs) 
No, take it from us. It runs it's out. Not. So we, I mean, I say stay, stay firm, yes. hold on to those books. The ones that really deserve the place that you've done all the work to decide that they belong there, be strong, you know, defend freedom, but then be careful when that word is misused. But also remember what diversity is. Correct. In its truest form. Like it's, it's differences. So yeah. Thank you all so much for joining us today. We hope that, like we said last week, this should, if nothing else, just help start a conversation or further a conversation um, because our text lists should not be stagnant. They should be living. They should be breathing. They should be ever changing, Um, not completely overhauling all the time, but like they should have wiggle room, right? The list that we have of the text that we are approaching with our students. If you have more thoughts on this, please join us on Instagram. Take a, take yourself over to our show notes, bravenewteaching.com, and you can leave some comments there. And make sure you are joining us for the Dystopia Festival. If you are listening in real time. We're in it. Friends, this right? is it. We're in it. So We're in it. welcome and thank you. And if you missed it in real time, you can still join. Head to bravenewteaching.com for more information. Yeah. This has been a good one. I hope you all get out there and get some banned books and throw them to the wind and see what, I don't know what I'm saying. Yeah. And engage with this idea of banned books. We can engage. Ah. They love it. Tell your kid that you're about to read a book that's been banned and they're probably going to read it because they want to know why. Right. Because they're curious and inquiry works and there you go. And if you have a moment to give us a rating and review on iTunes, we would be ever so appreciative because it helps other teachers find us and join us and have quick, wonderful conversations like this one. So there you go. The more the merrier. We'd love to have more teachers on in our community and uh, just making our voices louder and trying to support teachers going through real life, real things and making it through this crazy world we're in. Absolutely. So give yourself a little time, give yourself some grace, take a moment. And uh, until we meet again, thank you so much for joining us. We will see you next time. Bye. Bye everyone.